Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is William. You listen to London is Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener. And with no further delay, let's jump right in. And we're back, Chelsea fans, with another podcast stateside this time. Gentlemen, we are back. In the comfort of our own homes, most of us are feeling winter, but Dan, I can only imagine what your warped view of winter is over here. What's snow? I, I just want I, Nick sent me this photo. It looked like it was a Game of Thrones set yesterday, and I just don't understand. It um, it's it's a bag of bullshit. I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, I don't. Well, no, I no bags of bullshit would be like you know. Smelly and probably like sack like. This was white, a lot of white. You'll have to listen to our other podcast on on bags of bullshit. But uh, this is uh, this is the most snow I've seen in Kansas City since I've lived in, in in this town. And you know, Brandon, we got a whopping five and a half inches yesterday, which I know is just stunning to you in the Great White North. It is not white. Uh, actually, you can see the ground. So our outdoor soccer fields are completely uncovered, and you're like, ooh, if it was only 15 degrees warmer, might be able to get out there. But that reality does not exist here. Uh, anyways, our listeners, we're back. We, we've we now kind of settled in after that nice long trip to London. 
Uh, hopefully you enjoyed all of the content that we were able to knock out, especially knowing that we have even more to come. Uh, anytime the three of us, uh, including Mike, the four of us get in a room together, there's no shortage of content, Nick. I think we can promise everyone we only put out the the top 40% of what we actually take in. Right, yeah. Like what we most of our, our friends on, on the show don't realize is like when we get together, it's like, non-stop planning for like okay we have to do this thing and then we have to do this thing and what what ends up coming out is is hopefully what you guys think is some of the better content um but we did you know dan we did a video on pulisic for example outside of the bridge which is pretty cool um and a lot of other stuff so it was uh it was not all in podcast form. Some of it was on social media. Yeah, and you know we try to obviously diversify our bonds. So you know you want to make sure that you get action in all over the place. And you know the I think the two ones that people are most excited for obviously is the Ruben Loftus Cheek interview that we did, and also the interview we did with Allie Riley from the women's team who uh, just capped off an amazing victory today, two one versus Arsenal. Arsenal was the last team to beat them in the league. They've now gone 12 games with uh, 11 wins and one draw, uh, Brandon. So they are playing exceptionally well and putting themselves in the position to be, uh, you know, really now challenging for the, uh, you know, FA WSL or WSL title. Absolutely. Look, you know, the table was a, a tough challenge for them, but they are coming back flying. Uh, putting together results, you know, and uh, beating Arsenal was a is a massive result for them. So, uh, super super excited for for the women's team and everything they're doing. So keep it up. Uh, all right, well, back to tradition as we always do. We have a ton of iTunes reviews to run through, Dan. So big breath, man. You got a lot. <gasps> Okay, yeah, I could do this. So we had Metalhead666, exclamation point from the UK. We had ThinkBlue13 from the USA, JK Nix. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. That's unfortunate. Uh, in the USA, we had Whoopi Ducks from Australia. And All right. Yeah, that's it. Aussie, Aussie, Oi, oi, oi. We had 12 Yaiho1218 uh, from Singapore, who actually was you know, thanking us for one year of great content since he's been listening to the show. We had Nile Ranger, laughing face emoji, laughing face emoji from Canada, and then Nate Knives from the USA. So wonderful list of five-star reviews on iTunes, and obviously we'd love to shout those out at the beginning of an episode. So thank you for helping let other people know about us with a little bit of five-star love. And if you drop one on iTunes as well, we will... Shout it out in the next episode we record. Australia, Canada, and Singapore in one episode. That's a well, that's and, a worldwide. and the UK and USA. So we hit we hit a bunch there. Worldwide, baby, worldwide. Love Pitbull. that. Uh, also, in case you uh, didn't miss it, we did do a live podcast with the Chelsea Fancast team, and that was hosted at the London Pop Up Shop for classic football shirts. Nick, uh, anything you want to kind of throw in? Um, obviously, I believe we still have our discount code going with them, don't we? Sure do, Brandon. And I know that everyone's most excited about me doing this ad read. But if you're interested and, and you somehow missed out on their 20% off sale uh, on classicfootballshirts.co.uk, um, I think you should probably use our code, which is LONDONPOD, for 10% off your order. Um I think we can all speak for the treasure trove that is the the classic football shirts London pop up shop. It's really great. Dan found the uh, Simpsons Homer backing into the hedge 
uh, jersey from, I think it was an Argentine third division. Uh, it was beautiful kit. Um, but we found a lot of Chelsea stuff too. I know that Mike bought a, a Desai jersey. Uh, our friend Eric Barnes uh, bought a Dennis Wise jersey that was in just mint condition. Uh, there's plenty of amazing stuff, including the uh, um, the orange and gray Coors kit with uh, Rude Hullet on the back. That's on classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Uh, go there, use our promo code. It helps our show out. You get awesome stuff. Seems like a real win-win to me, Dan. It's the only type of deal we like to run, Nick. And yes, they have a great set of inventory. They're wonderfully nice people as well, too, which is, I think, a, another thing, right? You like to support a business where the people are genuine and give a damn about what they do and they clearly throw a ton of care into the way that they launder these shirts take care of them and are just you know again generally nice people so if you like classic kits if you like chelsea or another team and you want to get one of those i can't think of a better place to uh, to do it all right well here we go it is match review time we took on newcastle in the premier league it was at stanford bridge this past saturday january 12th uh, Casey missed it. Blues 2, Magpies 1, and we had a ton of score predictions. Uh, I thought it was collusion, but I did some homework, so I'll, I'll touch on that when I get through this. So on Facebook, we had Janique. Happy belated birthday, Janique. Yeah. Corey, Kono, Gary, Akshay, and Brad. On Instagram, we had A underscore Iceworth, Totex86, uh, Yakubsi, and Go Kick Rocks, and then Twitter at HuskerBlue. What up, HuskerBlue? So... I went to 538.com for anything statistics. I mean, why would you not? And a 2-1 result happens 5.6% of the time. The most common result in this game we love in the Premier League, uh, though, guys, is a 1-1 draw. Can you believe that? My question is, so to those who didn't see it, Brandon predicted 5-1. It's, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that they had legalized in in your great state, Brandon. <laughs> no way. I'm making making moves. You know what the payout on that is? <laughs> yeah, because we're so good at betting. <laughs> you we're we're no terrible at betting, idea. by the way. All right. Well, anyways, uh, I'm just saying you guys took the safe road out and picked the second most likely result in any match ever. So whatever. Anyways, I went crazy. Better I went much? crazy and predicted a a clean sheet, guys. That's how crazy I am. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I mean, they had only scored, what, 16 goals all season? 15 before that match. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, Dan, run us through our Lego lineup. Yeah, and if you didn't see it, the we retweeted it out, but the Chelsea Instagram game continues to be fire emoji, and uh, they did Lego figures for each one of the starting 11. So you had Arisa Balaga in the back, Azpilicueta, David Luiz, Rudiger, and Alonso as our back four. You had the... Midfield three of Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic, and then the front three of William, Hazard, and Pedro with substitutes of Willy Caballero, Andreas Christensen, Emerson, Ethan Ampadu, Ross Barkley, Callum Hudson, not yet off to Byron Odoi, and Olivier Giroud. And we did see Barkley, Hudson Odoi, and Giroud all come on in that order as substitutes. So, thank you. We were kind of back to the strongest lineup, Nick, and, you know, that's uh, that's what we saw when you have uh, no striker named Alvaro Morata on the bench, and you know, sorry, wants to continue with the false nine. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it, one might say that this is a a safe lineup. Um, there there isn't a a ton of uh, of risk taking when you don't have a a Callum Hudson Odoi or a 
or an Ampadu or even a Barkley. Um, one might say, Dan, it's it's risky to not play a proper striker. But, you know, I think we we just uh, kind of eat this one out today. That was that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the skin of our chinny-chin-chins. Right. So, as we always do, we get into it moving through the goals to kick this one off. So, in the ninth minute, didn't make us wait too long. We had Pedro right out of the gates assist uh, Patrick Mah- Mahomes, uh, David Luiz. Who is ruining my script? What are you guys doing? You know I read everything word for word. I am Brandon Busby, question mark. (laughs) Damn it. Who messed with the teleprompter? (laughs) But no, seriously, uh, David Luiz. This would have been a lot more embarrassing if the Chiefs would have lost yesterday, Nick. Yeah, uh, you know, and I frankly don't care if they do. Um, Look, this is a sublime pass. Like when, when... when you lose the Cesc Fabregas midweek to to take his talents to Monaco, uh, and then and then David Luiz steps up immediately and just puts one on a plate for Pedro, who of course does some very hard work on his own to finish uh, with a nice uh, lofted chip finish. This was a sublime goal. It reminded me a lot of um, you know if if you guys remember this. The uh, the first goal uh, upon Mourinho's return to Stamford Bridge and that uh, that beatdown that we had the four 0 beatdown of Manchester United where Pedro in the first minute kind of slotted in and took a over the top ball and finished it coolly. This was an even better move than that. Uh, it was incredible. David Luiz is you know I thought he played one of his better games, not only passing but defending yesterday. Uh, seemed to me, Dan, like uh, like he was kind of locked in to uh, maybe take over some of the responsibility for for dropping dimes from Sesk, huh? Well, you know, obviously, you know, we we talk a lot about uh, all the players, and I think there was the Jorginho two thousand passes without an assist stat that's kind of floating around now, and the assist has to come from somewhere. And when you don't have anyone to cross to in the box, you probably need to find a different way to score a goal and. Thankfully, in uh, really two occasions today, we found ways to score without playing the the vertical tiki-taka to get the ball actually into the back of the net. So uh, I very much enjoyed this one. And I know Caleb, one of our Patreon friends, and uh, was also on the trip with us too, uh, him and his lovely wife. And that was you know fantastic to have them there. But they were talking about the fact that how good was the ball from Luis to Pedro for the opener? No look over the top, inch perfect. Love that we have that sort of creativity available from the back line. It'd be great if we could find it more frequently from the midfield. And I think all of us would do a large cosign onto his comment. Nick, you uh, are putting a stat in here about through balls in the Premier League this season. Yes, correct. Thank you for that lead in. Um, my uh, so the the stat that I, I saw and is verified on on the Premier League's website is through balls for the eighteen nineteen season thus far. Uh, you would think you know you'd probably have some sort of maestro type of of thing. Maybe you know if you're thinking of kind of the the best passers in the Premier League, you'd probably think that you'd have you know maybe. I don't know who plays for any other team besides David Silva, you know, De Bruyne, sure. Christensen, no one right. in Liverpool's midfield. You mean, you mean Ericsson. Uh, you always mess them up. Yeah, um, so David Luiz is number one in the Premier League with through balls on 25. The next closest is Jorginho and Felipe Anderson on 13. 
and he added his 26th, 27th, 28th yesterday, probably. So if you think about that from a center back, like the rest of the players on this list, there's not another defender on there. Uh, Mo Salah has 11. Erickson has 11. Hazard has nine. Firmino has eight. Like 25 is absurd. Uh, so him, you know, the, the the name on here, I was actually kind of surprised not to see is is maybe a little Rudiger just because I know they're, they're working on those balls. But like, David Luiz is, I think, way outperforming what a uh, a traditional center back should uh, contribute. And if you're Jorginho and you're looking up at probably more than half to make up the deficit, you got to start making more critical passes, bro. Like that, you know. I, I don't know. I think that looks that looks kind of bad uh, in that respect because kind of mentioning Dan's uh, earlier statistic on Jorginho's passing, it's just. You know, it's a lot of side to side right now, and there doesn't seem to be that kind of critical move in that we we saw with some of his play at Napoli. So, anyway, not not to belabor this point, but David Luiz is having an outstanding season when it comes to through balls. Boom. No, I mean you don't. It's I think that's really eye opening, especially when it's that huge of a difference. Like he's not in first by one or two passes. Now, like, I'm going to start, like, watching this very specifically because it's a really interesting thing from David Luiz. Uh, next goal, though, 40th minute, Karen Clark assist Matt Ritchie. Just soft, soft as he would like, Dan, from a corner kick. Unfortunately, David Luiz just let Karen Clark go. Yeah, it wasn't a, a great look, and I think the way the game had been going up until that point, we had hit the ninth minute, we scored, it was great, and you just kind of felt a little bit of that foot kind of pull off the gas pedal there. And it was more than the, how little can we do to get across the line to get this one nil victory or luck into another goal because we're playing a absolutely terrible opponent who doesn't get, you know, appropriate funding from, you know, their owner to field a, a credible side. They don't have a wonderful manager. So like all these things are stacked in our favor yeah. to that point. You think Chelsea have problems? Oh, oh Lord. Newcastle. The, gra- the grass oh. is greener um, on this side, uh, at least today. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it was a terrible goal to give up. It was really, I mean, I think deserved by Newcastle at that point. With the way they're playing, they found a way to press. They found a way to make it difficult for us. And ultimately, Chelsea were just not, you know, wanting to be in the driver's seat at that point. They were waiting, you know, hoping to just coast to the end of the first half and then to come back out and coast a little bit more, and we, we paid for it. And, you know, it was unfortunate, but thankfully there was a little bit of magic left in the tank from uh, a couple other players, and we uh, we saw it a better result. That means we've got one more goal to cover. 57th minute, William, assist. Who cares assisted? Are you kidding me? Uh, light up the William haters. It is... Uh Huh. Something we've been waiting for. So, uh, I you know, Nini is a pretty well-known content creator in the Chelsea community. Uh, he put out his video last night saying that he's been going on and on. William is a left-sided player. That's when he's at his best, and he has been marginalized the last few years by playing on the right. Did you either? I, I don't know. We'll see. I think we'll get into it, but I just wanted to give him a shout-out. That was such a great goal, and it was instinctual. He just, you know, gave the guy the quick feet left to right, and then just buried it. Keeper had absolutely no chance. And uh, thankfully, you know, Chelsea kind of coasted out from there and got the three points. So anyways, as we jump into it right away off the bat, Williams' goal sent Chelsea six points clear off of fifth 
place. And right now, on the heels of Tottenham, obviously have a match in hand. They are playing Manchester United later today as we record. So, William has received a bit, a lot, a ridiculous amount of stick for his performances this season and a lack of output. But how about his performance on the day, Nick? Do you think uh, that him playing on the left from the beginning was a noticeable difference from his previous performances on the right? Sure. Uh, you know, I, 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 he's played on the left uh, in this false nine or whatever, this kind of weird rotating front three. If it's if it's not a false nine, we, we get people who are, you know, tactician masters telling us this isn't a false nine. And I kind of think they're wrong because Hazard drops so deep that, you know, typically it, it ends up being a false nine. But um, either way, Williams played on the left. Uh, he certainly likes cutting in on his stronger right foot. Uh, his left foot is not nearly as as dangerous as his right. Uh, he scored a great goal today, but I don't, you know, I, I think it can be both things, right? Like, I think he could have played, you know, for, for the level at which we expect from him very poorly this season, and he could have also had a really great goal and a pretty good overall performance yesterday. Like, why does it have to be one thing or another? He can't, like, I think it's just so simple-minded and 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 too easy to say, well, like, okay, he's not, he's not playing bad anymore because he had one good performance. You know, it just, he hasn't been consistent this year. He showed bad body language. He's missed a lot of really easy touches. He's not scored the goals that we thought he was going to score. And the goals that he thought that sorry, thought he was going to score at the beginning of the season when they were talking about outputs, he hasn't been great this year. You know, I think he deserves the, you know, some of the stick, obviously within reason and performance based, not about him as a person or whatever. He deserves, you know, the the adequate amount of criticism when he's bad. And I think he deserves the praise on a day that he was good. And like, what? It, why can't we just do this? <laughs> like, it seems so easy. Well, I mean, the issue is that it has to be binary for some people to understand it, right? It has to be he's either terrible or he's magnificent. He is having the best game of his life or he's having an absolute mare. And it, it's funny. I remember, you know, having, you know, spent time, you know, in my formative years kind of in college and whatnot, doing a lot of like freelance writing about uh, video games. And the the joke was always that, you know, every everything was a seven. Like that was the lowest most people would go on the review score scale. Like nothing was a zero um, because you just, you wouldn't affect publishers that way. Like you wanted to maintain decent relationships with them. And then, like, occasionally things would be, like, a 10 or a 9. It'd be really, really exceptional. and uh, But most things average out to be a 7. And, you know, I think with football, you know, most of the time, players tend to average out to be a 7. William has dropped a lot of, set, you know, 6 or 7 performances this season. So to say that he has been, you know, objectively awful is is not right. I think the the larger issue comes down to the fact that you know, when you see people having to turn off Instagram comments, when you forget the fact that like this is a human being who may or may not be at the level of performance that Chelsea need, who you know I would argue has been below a standard of play that we should accept at the club. However, if you know he is now on the team sheet, I you know. I, a, I shouldn't be frustrated or upset at the team sheet, right? Like that's that's what it is. Like I can do nothing to control or change that element of history. Like that is now cemented in time, and to be frustrated or upset by it is just, you know, a, a waste of you know 
energy you could use to support the team or go grab a beer or post a funny GIF. You know, there's a lot of things you could do with that energy. And then the other element ends up being is that if you're, you know, upset about it and they don't play well, then, you know, criticize the performance appropriately. I mean, they're, they're you know, William today, in, a, in addition to scoring a winning goal, also missed some, some two wonderful chances. Yep. Uh, you know, so, I mean, was he exceptional today? No. Was he better than he has been in a lot of the games this season? I would say absolutely yes. And I think it's okay to be thankful for the way that he has kind of combated some significant adversity, which unfortunately, Brandon, has been afflicted on him by a lot of our supporters, which is I think, just an unfortunate situation to be in. Can I quickly pop in here? Because like, I think your last point here, Dan, is right. I think at times we have been critical of Williams' performances because that's exactly, I mean, we do match reviews, right? Like we kind of have to look at it <laughs> and make a make a judgment. Like I think, you know, the, the standard that we hold ourselves on the show and that others don't hold themselves to in the, in the Twitterverse is that we try and keep it within the context of the game, right? Did he have a bad game? Yes. Or did he have a, a string of bad performances? Sure. Um, but the people out there who are just who have an agenda, who anti William or anti Pedro or anti Jorginho or anti anyone, like support the fucking club, guys. Like I, it drives me insane. Like I went back and forth with a few fans yesterday on Twitter, you know, who just have this like anti 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 everything, like because it's not the team that they would pick on Football Manager or on FIFA. Let Sari do his job. If he thinks that William is the best player in that position, he's the best player in that position. We kind of have to accept that as fact. We don't see training every day. We don't, you know, maybe William just blows the doors off of Callum Hudson-Odoi every day in training. And in that case, football's a meritocracy and he deserves to play. You know, it's, it's just that simple. So, like, just support the team, even if it's not your ideal player or if, or if you like Callum Hudson-Odoi more. Like, we we loved seeing Callum Hudson-Odoi play against Forrest. We got really lucky to be able to see him play in person and just thought he did great. But, you know, you have to support the team. So stop getting on players' cases to this extreme extent. Like, just do your job as a supporter. Support the team, Brandon. Well, and to, just to kind of pin on that, like I don't generally think it's you know the the listenership of this show that you're really talking about, Nick. I think in general, it's it's just it's spending too much time knee jerking to the moment versus being kind of willing to take a step back and look at the holistic issue of you know Callum Hudson Odoi had played you know, two basically full matches in a row has come back from a muscular injury at the very tail end of the year. And, you know, most likely you'd like to take advantage of his speed and his pace versus Arsenal next Saturday. And you want to make sure that he is, you know, as healthy as he can be in that scenario. Like, you know, we, we asked for rotation, we asked for appropriate squad management. And that to me, Brandon looked like it was the appropriate level of squad management where, we're protecting a player who also is is still young at 18, who just came back from an injury and who has played a lot of football, whereas William has not played as much over that same period of time. I just want to make sure that no one else is going to jump in again. 
No, you're good. Uh, You're good. uh, (laughs) All right. So uh, Andy Saunders on Twitter uh, was kind of going off on saying, oh, you know, William Haters. And he just was like, let me make sure. Are we talking about the same William who is a two-time Premier League winner, uh, FA and League Cup winning, uh, fans player of the year, and players player of the year, William? He's like, so just so we're clear, that William is one we're hating. Clayton responds, which is very fair. He says, absolutely love him. He's a great player. But he's inconsistent. I think that that's always what it goes back to. But like you guys said, like William wasn't a passenger when we're winning those when he won those awards. Like he's been very integral to this team, you know, over the last six years. And you know, fair play to him. There have been a lot of other players that have came and gone, and he's de- you know defended his starting role over that time. You know, at Shakhtar, he's uh, you know more of a number ten. He's moved out to the wing here at Chelsea, and it's a different. It's it's just a little bit different. But I think in the end. Um, you know, think about how many different managers and play styles, you know, Eden and William have, have seen so many different attacking and um, defensive roles for the wingers that most of the other players haven't. It's been crazy the amount of times that those two have had to adapt specifically. And unfortunately, like you said, it's just um, the inconsistency is what hurts. But look, today he was great. He was active. He's up for it, had a great goal. And that's what we want to celebrate with him. Uh, and, and and we continue to move on. Like I said, he had a, a bit of an injury uh, when we were there at Southampton. He had to come off even. Um, and, you know, thankfully he recovered quickly. Um, so sorry on William. Uh, mainly talking about him potentially leaving. Allegedly Barcelona making bids for him again. Potentially throwing in Malcolm, who they just signed this summer. If they're already looking to offload him, not a great sign. Anyways, sorry, saying... Quote, William is an important player. In my opinion, William has to stay with us. He's a really important player like Pedro. hudson Adoy is becoming a very important player. With Eden as a striker, we need wingers, so we need Pedro, Adoy, and William, end quote. Anything else you guys want to throw on the end of that? I, I would quickly say on this, like, I think the heat around William and a potential transfer this week has been probably, Dan, as, as much as I've seen since he's been at Chelsea outside of last summer, um, it it, there was a part of me that thought he was, you know, that it was kind of a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave in this window. Um, and then, you know, of course, because I thought that he goes out and, and scores a, a banger yesterday. So, you know, it's it's always interesting to see how players respond to this type of uh, press or pressure. And I think he he responded in the in the best way that you could, right? Yeah, score a goal and shut him up. It's the best way to respond. He talked after the match about how he doesn't plan to leave Chelsea, that he hasn't received an offer from Barcelona, and isn't aware of their interests. And to me, that sounds absolutely right because just Barcelona coming in to bid for a you know 30, 31-year-old player who has 18 months left on his contract that they could whittle that down to next year and potentially get him on a free if they really, really want him. And offering a player in return doesn't make a whole lot of sense just structurally. Like if we, again, this is the benefit of taking a moment to pause and reflect before just knee-jerking on something. Like it just logically doesn't make sense. Like none of that makes sense. And then if we do lose him, like to Sari's point, you have to then go sign another winger. You know, Pulisic isn't coming in until the summer. We are potentially, you know, going on the verge of may or may not losing Callum Hudson-Odoi. So do we want to go down one or two more wingers and make getting top four that much more difficult? Like, that doesn't, none of that makes sense. 
in any capacity, Brandon. So I think ultimately, like, it's good to have William here. He's going to be here for at least the extent of his contract. And, you know, we just should stop moaning about the fact that he is a part of our team and just support him when he's on the pitch and, you know, hope that we bring in the right level of continual competition to either help him up his game or put the right player on the pitch. I'm not moaning. You're moaning. Jeez. Everyone's no. Oh, did you pause so long to make sure that no one interrupt you again? I feel nope, like we've heard I'm taking back control. This is how it works. <laughs> All right. So the next one up we have is uh, that Sorry did not mince his words when talking about Jorginho's performance this match. He even indicated he would have given the Italian the hook. Well, maybe he would have subbed him at a minimum uh, if he had a similar player for that position on the bench. What's been the challenge for Jorginho, Dan? Is it the number of minutes? Is it the fact that he is single-handedly trying to change Chelsea's play style while on the pitch? Is it because he doesn't speak good enough English? What is up with Jorginho Ofreo? Yeah, let's let's uh, swerve away from the xenophobic one at the end there about not speaking a language, and we'll probably bring it a little bit more tactically. Oh, you don't want to talk about the Twitter trolls and and, and their issues? No, no, okay. we're good. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hard hard left hard left on that. Um, going to careen off the side of the mountain to avoid it. And yeah, I think, so the issue is the speed of the ball movement, I think continues to be the biggest type of challenge that I see watching the match. It, it is very slow at the way that we kind of move through the ball. And ultimately like the, the team is set up to kind of work through Georgina, right? So the ball is going to get recycled to him. He's going to dictate you know, we're going to go left side. We're going to go right side. Are we going to try to overload an individual side? Are we going to try to play it through the the middle and engage with you know, either Hazard or you know another player that's kind of moved into position? And as much as you know, we have some talented players on our team. You know, I actually think Conte has again continued to just silence all haters, silence all doubters that he can't adapt to the role and has become probably one of the best passers uh, on our team currently uh, outside of long ball, uh, through ball, David Luiz. It just the ball does not move fast enough, and so he gets closed down ridiculously quickly, and it doesn't afford him the same pressureless system, I would say, as to what he kind of had in Napoli, Nick, where he had time, a little bit more time, to kind of move on the ball, and I think teams are very much aware that we are not moving the ball quick enough and have identified that if they can get on him, get on his case, make his life a little bit difficult, that he really doesn't have the appropriate passing lanes or outlets to dictate the play as he wants. And and that's where his struggle has been in my mind. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, like I looked at the game yesterday and I thought, you know, if Newcastle are going to drop back, you know, as far as they were for a lot of the game, and, you know, they were, you know, I think they were happy to to put 10 behind the ball. Um, and they're going to drop back a striker to try and, you know, you know, essentially what they did is they create a triangle around Jorginho, right? They basically don't give him an outlet to distribute the ball where and when he would like. Uh, Jorginho is much better in an open game, like we played against Spurs on in, in midweek or, uh, you know, even the FA Cup game or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I guess Cess played the, the FA Cup game, but um, any more of an open play style, and he's a lot more dangerous. Uh but when teams have this many folks behind the ball and they are uh, concerted on him as the kind of linchpin for the team, uh, he really hasn't looked, you know, dynamic at all. And 
I think where maybe some of the frustration is coming from uh, Chelsea fans is also the fact that he's not contributing in goals or assists either, especially when we get kind of closer to the 18-yard box, Brandon. So this is this is an area that Sarri kind of has to figure out from a play style. I mean, he he's not a dynamic athlete. He has the all the passing ability in the world, but we haven't kind of seen it manifest into goals or assists, you know, uh, kind of completed chances. Uh, it's it's not looking it's not looking great when a team kind of does the park the bus scenario. No, it's not it. But that's what we see from a lot of teams. Um, it's kind of interesting. Right. So then why wouldn't we change it, right? Like, why wouldn't we change up the system if we know that's coming? Well, I mean, so what I so I was listening to, uh, I don't know, I think a BBC podcast with Connor Cody from Wolves on it. And they asked him directly, like, how do you go and beat City, beat Chelsea, and lose or draw to Cardiff? And that was his point. His point is, like, we are set up better to go play the bigger teams that want to play open. He's like, no matter what team you are, you're going to struggle when teams defend for their life and put a block eight back there. And, you know, I think that part of it is it's it works. That's why everyone does it when they play, you know, the top four, top six teams. It doesn't make it any easier, but we're not the only ones to struggle with this. Liverpool beat Brighton and Hove Albion 1-0 off a penalty yesterday. They weren't flying. They weren't cruising. Like, they still struggled. And so I think part of it is it's just just generally really, really hard to break down. And it's even harder for Chelsea because we don't have a striker. And if we don't have a target focal point because we're playing a fluid front three, it's, it's, this is kind of an even more difficult situation we find it. So a little bit is our fault. A little bit is just that's the way that the crappy teams in the league play because that's their only way of survival. And if they survive, they get a huge payday. And that's the situation we're in. But, I mean, look, the, not having a striker, it, it, that, that you know, adds so many additional layers of difficulty uh, for us than a lot of the other teams. I mean, Aguero is cruising this season. Uh, Jesus is just starting to get up and running. Liverpool's front three are doing, you know, enough. Obviously, Mo Salah's not having uh, world-beating success like last year. Uh, you know, Kane is back at the top again like he's been. It's just those are the people above us. Even Arsenal have two, one really good striker and another good striker. Uh, they just can't defend, literally cannot defend to save their life. And that's kind of where we sit in the middle is we can defend and we can create some stuff going forward. But, I mean, it's just it's way too inconsistent. I don't, I mean, do you think that having Giroud in there, assuming, and we have to assume that he wasn't healthy, potentially fully fit yesterday, but if he was fully fitting in there, um, do you think that would have made a great, you know, difference? I mean, we're not the best team at crossing the ball either. We're terrible at crossing the ball uh, for the most part. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't even get that excited for corners anymore because, I, you know, our, our our conversion rate is so poor off of most set pieces. Um, you know, I I love David Luiz. I think one of his poor moments besides letting Kieran Clark go, which, you know, I, I suppose is a black mark on his defensive performance from my comments earlier, but uh, is him running up and taking another kind of aimless free kick. Um, we're just not good, Dan, uh, in those scenarios. And that's an area that, you know, hopefully a lethal striker or, or a different kind of setup would help us 
you know, convert more of those chances and be more dangerous is essentially right now. I don't think teams are uh, scared to follow us in, in difficult areas because our, we're just not converting those chances, really. Yeah, and they're not scared to foul us for, for a lot of reasons. And uh, I think that, you know, one is just the uh, state of officiating. But second is the fact that we don't tend to do a whole lot with those opportunities. You know, Alonzo has not scored a goal in quite some time. You know, William, same. David Luis has kind of owned most of the responsibilities. And I believe he's only scored one goal off of, of a free kick since he's returned to us. And that was the Liverpool... We're not actually really even set up right now, and uh, you've now scored on us. So, yeah, there's just there's not a a level of threat that we have, or you know, that we should have in that capacity right now, and it's it's a little unfortunate. So, I mean, that is where you know, looking at whoever comes in between now and the end of this window with, you know, Monaco looking like they're going to get Mishi on a six month loan. So that's not going to happen. You have Giroud as the only option right now. And Rata who looks like he's going to go in some direction if we get another striker in, because again, sorry, looks at hazard and looks at him as a striking option or as a striker, but it would be super, super nice Brandon to put him back out on the left-hand flank and let him work his magic there. If a center forward was capable of, holding up the play and then also, you know, interchanging well and being able to kind of, you know, occasionally score a goal with uh, their feet. Feet are nice. Scoring goals are also nice. So we're going to continue to work on that. Again, uh, we're taking quotes from Nisar, who is at the post-match press conference. Uh, he said, sorry, I'm Fabregas' replacement. Cool. As you see today, Jorginho was in trouble and on the bench, there wasn't a player for that position. So I need a player for that position and I need an option for Jorginho. I have no idea when someone will arrive, end quote. Uh, Marco, Mark Worrell, gate 17, only a pound. Uh, lovely seeing you last time we were there, as always. Uh, he tweeted, smiling at the memory of how poor Jorginho was, and if Sari had a pair of bollocks, he'd have hooked his love child at halftime, pushed the more productive pass master Louise into midfield, and slotted Ampadu in at center back. Instead, Chelsea remained ensnared in a trap of mediocrity. I think... I think David Luiz and Ampadu coming in, it's a big gamble. There's a lot of risk involved with that. And it would I think it would have been fun to watch. You probably could have gotten away with it in Newcastle. But uh, clearly, I think this just shows that us as fans are infinitely more risk-averse than <laughs> the people actually getting paid to make those decisions. I mean, is that fair, Nick? Oh, are you saying that the fans who don't face consequences for their football manager tactics uh, – you know, are, are a little bit more uh, uh, prone to risk than than maybe a, a manager who who does actually face consequences. Potentially. The... Okay. All right. Well, look, I think your logic is extremely flawed there, but um, but I'll go along with All it. Right. You know, because we have a show today. Nice of you. And All right. Controversy is nice. So yeah. <laughs> controversy, as we learned. Controversy. <laughs> All right. Uh, another concerning element we've continued to see here is that. Chelsea just don't kill off teams in a game. Sorry, continues to refer to this as the team's mentality. Um, I think it just comes down to the fact that how can we kill a team off when we can barely <laughs> score one or two goals? Yes, I know I predicted five. Um, I don't know, but I mean, Dan, when you, when you look at it and kind of sit the situation, I mean, it felt like Chelsea were pretty comfortable. It was a terrible, terrible goal to give up yesterday, but in the grand scheme of things, 
Um, I know we didn't get four, five, six goals like City and Liverpool maybe do, but I at least felt comfortable. Did Were you? It is frustrating to watch it happen time and time again and to know it's going to happen. I think that that's probably the worst part of all of this is that in designing the system and setting it up and knowing the way that Chelsea play, actually super similar in the fact that at the end of the Antonio Conte era, and I'm not saying that Mauricio Sarri is anywhere near the end of his tenure at Chelsea, but it was very much you could draw a map of how the play was going to progress and what was going to happen in a match based upon the lineup, the competition, the way that they were set up, and where we were in terms of our run of form. And I think a couple of us predicted clean sheets, but maybe in our hearts of hearts, we generally thought at some point in this match, if there was going to be a goal in the 16th goal of the season for Newcastle, it was and did come at our expense. And we're not terribly shocked or surprised by that. And there doesn't seem to be many games where we go and win by two goals or three goals or four goals in the same way that... Man City can roll out a pretty, you know, pretty weak side comparatively uh, against lower level opposition and just steamroll them. We struggle, you know. I mean, there were there were periods of that Nottingham Forest match that we were at, Nick, where you're concerned on just the ability to field maybe your B plus lineup and get through a match and not you know expect to win by three or four goals. And I know that there's not you know a God ordained right for Chelsea to walk on the pitch at any given time and win. But at a certain point, you have to look at the caliber of player you have, the investment that you made there, and be able to say, shouldn't you expect, you know, in some realm and some reality, that with the players we have, with the manager we have, with the, the setup we've put together, that we should be able to go and basically punching bag on a couple of these teams that just give us a little bit of the, the shivers and the shakes and the way that they don't give... Liverpool or, you know, uh, Spurs right now or, you know, United on this run of form, City, the challenges that we seem to struggle with. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things to point to here. It's it's probably deserves its own episode to try and unwrap. But I think the the scenario you brought up is is mostly right, which is there are teams that Chelsea should be just not only due to talent, but just the way that we play versus the way that the other team plays, right? I think there are a lot of mismatches for for Chelsea Football Club in, in the Premier League. I think Newcastle is one of those that we should have the beating of pretty easily. Um, you know, Forest, same way. You know, you think about some of the matches that we've really struggled in this year. Um, Wolves, for example. Chelsea circa 2008-9 doesn't lose a lot of those matches. I think the... You know, when I when I kind of think back as as a Chelsea fan, probably started around you know once we won the Champions League and maybe got a little um, on a high horse in terms of just thinking that as soon as we walked out on the pitch, there was this ordained right that we were going to beat the teams that we should beat. Uh, I would say around 2013 that we you know we the collective, the fans, the club, the the team, all have maybe taken our collective foot off the gas on some of these things. And it's, it's brutal because you, like Dan said, you just kind of see it coming now. You know, when we scored that goal yesterday, 
it, it wasn't as if it's like, you know, the team was out there saying, oh, let's go get another one. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, that was our first goal at home in three matches. And it did not seem as if there was that like fire to go get that next one and the next one and the next one and to really, you know, do what City, Liverpool and, you know, other teams uh, do when, when they have a team on the ropes. We let Newcastle back in and I think it was uh, Dan Levine that said uh, on Twitter yesterday that uh, Newcastle got galvanized by that goal going in from Pedro and, and actually ratcheted up their play. Like Chelsea has to stomp that out as quickly as possible um, because if you give teams belief Brandon, and, and you know this from, from playing competitively, they're they're going to bite you more often than not. So it's a mentality thing that I think Sarri and others have failed to solve up to this point, and it's something that until the club, management staff, playing staff all figure out, um, it's going to be difficult. And then the fans have to do their part by just getting behind the team and making sure that in moments of anxiety, you're not you're not making the atmosphere worse. Or you're not contributing to the bad juju. You just gotta like, you know, get behind the team and, and support them. Yeah, mm. it's. Uh, I think it's tough. Obviously, the mentality thing. If it is, you know, I think sometimes it's a bit of a personnel thing. We just we're lacking lacking the goals. You know, obviously, if you're you know banging in three every match, you know you're going to be more likely to go for them. But this team, like you guys kind of said, though, it's. They're they're happy with a one goal win. Uh, unfortunately, us as fans know that one goal leads go to you know level on goals really quickly as we saw. So yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, I just kind of wonder how many different things Sorry is trying to implement with this team. How many different things are trying to um, kind of get across to the team? But man. Uh, scoring goals, I think if there's ever a time to, you know, to focus on something, that would be it. You know, uh, the other thing is maybe they're, they're tired. Like, we know Sorry doesn't really rotate. Like, we're coming off, we're still in the middle of, you know, a busy, busy time of the season. Um, you know, th- that could play a part in it. But, you know, the the fact of the matter is, it's not where it needs to be, especially on some of these lower, lower table teams. It just... It needs to be better, uh, and hopefully that um, Maritza and the team can do better. But anyways, uh, we'll go ahead and kind of move on a little bit. Uh, if there's anything we missed in this, like feel free to tweet at us, email us, uh, DM us on Instagram, whatever you want to do. But is there anything else you guys want to pull out of this match we maybe didn't touch on? Dan, starting with you. I would say, and we'll get to it in a second with the man of the match poll, but I think Conte continues to be just one of the most impressive footballers on our team in general. And I think the way that he's continued to in these past couple of matches, just move play forward, break away at speed, continue to control the ball and, you know, make, make life terrible for defenders. You know, before he was making life terrible for attackers and now he's making life terrible for defenders as well. And it's just, it's just joyous. And I know Nick is absolutely over the moon to see it happen as well. But yeah, you know, I think we can't, you know, it's easy to focus on all the negatives, but, the progression of Conte this season is like one of the sneaky undercurrent stories that hasn't really been brought up enough, I think. And it's exciting. It's exciting to watch him continue to develop as a footballer. And uh, we, we are all the beneficiaries and supporters for it. I love that man. I do. I truly do. Um, I, I would say this, we made it to this part of the show without talking about maybe even mentioning Eden hazard. Didn't have a great game yesterday. I think really struggled 
in a in an uncomfortable role against a you know a back ten. <laughs> um, you know, I don't I don't put all of this on him, but you know, it truly, if if Chelsea don't pick up a striker in January, and Giroud kind of goes on and off with injuries, I think we are in real trouble. Um, which is not breaking news by any means, but you know, I know he got the assist to William. Um, that was an assist in which William did most of the work. Um, but yeah, he he didn't play well yesterday, and I, I think struggled. You know, anytime you see him come back to the midfield where Jorginho is, or go out wide uh, where William should be, and there isn't anyone filling that gap, uh, opposing uh, defensive lines have a really easy time against us. So uh, I would just call that out because I was um, I was watching him all game, and it, it just looked like he was really frustrated. Do you see him get fouled a ton? Almost kicked out a little bit. I did. Yeah, yeah, cynically fouled, and the referees have still not figured out how to referee him after uh, approximately one million years playing in the league. So it's really cool that that's still happening. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy when you you don't go down as frequently as other players, and so now you don't get officiated the appropriate way or the way that you should be officiated without having to fall down. It's not hard to realize that six different people had a hard foul on him, so you caution. But I just wanted to point that out because, you know, I'm, this this referee, by the way, didn't even call fouls on some of these things. Like there were plenty, there were three or four times that I saw yesterday that he got crunched from behind or or really kicked out at, and the referee said play on. So, like, first of all, we gotta figure out how to call a foul. And then second of all, we gotta figure out how to referee this tactical fouling and, and provide some yellows that are are you know de-incentivizing the uh the the tactical fouling is it's just it's terrible to watch. It's kind of one of those matches where it's like the referee just learned what the play on tool was, and he's like, "Oh yeah, here we go, <laughs> all day we're playing on." Got it. I mean, to be fair, you can come back after the play and caution. It's not once it's gone, it's gone. But anyways, all right, Dan, Brandon, I've, your I've, we have a, we have a, we have a new segment, right? Uh, I'm we have a, a brand. <laughs> you go it's, for it. It's, you it, you, you it's tee a, this one up. <laughs> it's a brand new segment called Dan of the Match. Um, it's a weekly segment in which Dan Dormer uh, puts together who he thought his Dan of the Match was. This is obviously a play on Man of the Match, but it's a Dan of the Match moment. So with with no further delay, one Dan Dormer. This was only because I caught a photo of the <laughs> hand, hand save of uh, the Chelsea women denying a goal at uh, King's Meadow, and uh, then it became the Dan of the Match. So I think this is only going to be once, and then we'll go back to doing Man of the Match, thankfully. But No, nope, uh, brand I, new segment, staying forever. Great. I already called it. Wonderful. Uh, anyway, we had four names on there. Uh, none were a joke this week because we win, and when we win, we don't make jokes. So uh, Louise, Conte, Pedro, and William were the four options. Luis ran away with it, 52%, for most likely his best pass of the day, better than any of the about eight hours of NFL football I watched, uh, there was no better pass completed on a Saturday afternoon or evening. Conte with 28% of the vote, which probably would have been my man in the match. Uh, William with 13%, and then Pedro with 7 So, again, no jokes when we win. Only jokes when we lose. You would choose someone who didn't score as your man of the match. You're anti-football. I, I am. You know, just uh, I'm a pragmatist at heart. Well, anyways, top four. So, prefaces. The Sunday matches are going on, all right? 
haven't had the Monday match. So Zuma has also scored a header has. as we've been recording, which was quite All right. glorious. Good for Kurt. I like that. So with that being said, uh, Liverpool in first on 22 matches played and 57 points. Man City in second on 21 matches played, 50 points. Spurs, 21 matches, 48 points. And Chelsea in fourth on 22 matches played and 47 points. Uh, Arsenal and United are both fifth and sixth respectively. Arsenal, 22 matches played 41. Uh, so United have the opportunity on 21 matches to draw level with Arsenal. Uh, and if they absolutely batter Spurs, could even jump them on goal difference. But there's a lot to be seen yet if United are going to batter Spurs by four goals or more. Uh, on the bottom side, Newcastle have slipped into the relegation zone 18th. Fulham... Uh, 19th, not bottom of the table, because that is Huddersfield Town. 11 points. you imagine that, guys? 22 matches played, and you've only managed 11 points. Their last five matches are four losses and a draw, and they play City next. Not a good not look good for cotton. Huddersfield Town. Not good. No. <laughs> not good, Cotton. Yeah, Newcastle, by the way, they're they're in rough shape, guys. Uh, like, I, I know that a lot of, you know, when we talk to our friends across the pond, they're, they're a proud old club. You know, I think most Premier League fans uh, know them as as a really top tier, uh, you know, kind of historical club in, in the league. They're a mess. And to be behind Cardiff at this point in the season with Neil Warnock, i.e. Brexit man. Wolf. The wizard. Ugh, he's like, this is brutal. And, you know, you, you just kind of. You don't love to see a club eat itself uh, up like they currently are, but look, yikes. they just need a new owner. I mean, he knows it; they know it; everyone knows it. Um, but you know, he's a greedy old man, and he's going to want you know a, a valuation probably above and beyond what they're really at. And it's his fault that they're uh, you know kind of a a yo yo team right now, and no one's going to buy the club if they're going to get relegated at Premier League prices, and he's holding out for that. So. You're right. Look, Newcastle have a ton of history, uh, you know, a ton of pedigree. The fact that they fill, you know, 40,000 plus, you know, stadium week in, week out, whether or not they're terrible, whether or not they're in the championship, that just goes to show you kind of the the loyal fan base they have. And, um, you know, I know growing up, one of my coaches was a massive Newcastle fan. So I always paid attention to them, you know, knew about them. And you're right, like if they were to go down, like, uh, you know, over the likes of, uh, Cardiff, even like no offense, but Burnley and Brighton and whatnot, and these other teams, even Southampton down there, like come on, it's uh, that's not the way it'd be. Like a good Newcastle would be good for the Premier League, uh, but I don't know, we'll see. A lot of fans also <laughs> a little mixed on this, Nick, because Rafa is still there. So the the real question I would have is if they get relegated, do we get a Netflix documentary? And then if so, can we name it Toontown? Because I think that would just Jeez. be. <laughs> wonderfully comical and uh also a level of just you know, uh black comedy and humor that would just, just you know, be perfect for their situation it's true just trolling trolling uh trolling them as a club that's that's good stuff dan all right well i appreciate you guys you know showing up hanging out uh from the comforts of your own home it was nice to kind of sit back and, and do this again one, one final one final yeah. thought brandon we have a, a final a, a good a good tidings a good wishes to bring uh you know, a guy who's been on our show a couple of times, especially over the summer, Alex Goldberg, just got engaged. Congrats. So, yeah. I mean, big news for him. Exciting times. You know, 
you know, we certainly uh, have been back and forth with him on some of the hotter takes, but certainly as a life moment, you want to strip away the the football and just congratulate him for for a big moment in his life. So, uh, best of luck to you and yours, Alex, and and uh, we'll we'll hit you on the on the flip side. All right. Well, again, thank you to all of our listeners. The most important part of our community. We thank you so much for listening. And as always, we will be back. Uh, you know, at some point next week. You know, you can usually count on us. Uh, but no, I promise we will be back. Another good week ahead of us. Uh, part two coming at you guys later this week. Anyways, that is a wrap. Uh, until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.